Make Nashville's mission is to transform lives by providing the tools, education, and support to make amazing things. To accomplish this, we have a makerspace full of tools, mentors, workshops, outreach programs, and events, including the annual Nashville Mini Maker Fair, along with experts available to help members and non-members alike to engage in incredible projects, explore new ideas, and create affordable learning experiences. Our community is a 100% volunteer-led nonprofit organization. Everything we do happens because of generous people like you. If you are interested in becoming a member, volunteering your time and energy, or donating to our cause, please find us on the web at makenashville.org. Hello today. This is One Million Breasts Podcast. With me, I have another guest today. His name is Joshua Rawlings. Want to say hi to everybody, Josh? Howdy. So give us a little bit of background of what you do and who you are. Yeah, certainly. My name is Joshua Rawlings. I'm running for U.S. Congress, Tennessee District 5, which is all of Davidson, Cheatham, and Dixon County. And I'm running for Congress because I've seen a failure of leadership in this country. We notice that the, the folks who really make the rules are the multi-billion dollar multinational companies, and that's just not right. The founding of this country was about regular human beings stepping up, doing their civic duty, and going back home after having improved the status of this country. Instead, we have perpetual incumbents who are completely ineffective, so it drove me to run for federal office. It's not my first time. I ran in 2014 for state house. Now we're trying to step it up because the issues are huge. So that's, uh, that's the general background, but I've been running a software company and a parts company for the last decade, playing in a band, and enjoying the cross-section of time. Nice. What's the name of your band? New Wave Rebellion. Nice. Yes, this is like a, a funk, hip-hop, break-your-brain, rip-the-world-open type band, and uh, it's mainly freestyle. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, you know, since you got the music background, you can kind of talk about what's happening to the music scene with the COVID-19 here in Nashville. Well, yesterday I interviewed Nordista Freeze, who's a great local artist who depends on 150 tour dates a year to survive. And with the degradation of tour schedules and no clear path to get them back, I really feel for artists like him who aren't going to be able to have their, uh, their source of income anymore. And then a week before, I had a conversation with a great session guitar player named Tom Bukovac, who's kind of on the flip side, because people are still kind of doing some remote recording and things like that, and he may be able to survive. But most musicians need to play shows, need to sell merch, need to be there in person and build out those networks. There's a, a lot of music that would have been made. Great music is not going to be made because of this pandemic. But creativity... Is, is a hole that can never be degraded. So my guess is that we're just going to see a transference of energy there. And, and creativity will go to other pockets of the world. Yeah, I've noticed um, a lot of people have been, you know, doing their playing live shows and they're, they got their virtual tip jars and they've been sitting online and still playing. And I, I'm just kind of wondering maybe because some of them are having crowds of like t 20 online and it's like wow you know maybe this can be something that they can move forward with once they start playing live again to be able to have both platforms at the same time well like anything there's going to be winners and losers but i'll tell you this like like the serving community 
like everybody else, people are making a tenth of a tenth of what they were making. And then would say the the analog, which would be an organization like Amazon or Uber and Lyft, Uber Eats, all these things, they're going to be making out big while most people, we're talking about 80% of the economy, which depends on the service sector, which includes uh, music, is going to be heavily degraded. And that's a big problem. So you're right. I'm sure you could you can garter new audiences online if you're really keen on that sort of stuff and you get lucky. But for most, the 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 GDP of creativity is probably ten percent or twenty percent of what it was. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how things are moving forward. Um, yeah, you've got people like <clears throat> making millions of dollars. I what do you think about this? The fact that the stock market isn't crashing, it's actually doing quite well right now. It's a, it's a really good question, and it's actually a little confusing. But at the end of the day, the reason the stock market is doing so well is because government bonds don't have the yields that they used to have. So it's actually just become a piggy bank for these big investment firms to hide their money because they're in a position where they'd rather take that greater risk on the public market than put it into government bonds that are going to have a negative yield at this point. Because there's so much borrowing happening, I think you're getting an artificial inflation of the stock market because the numbers just aren't uh, – they're not parallel. Yeah, something's not right. It's definitely something I've noticed, and I'm, like, curious on how long this is going to stay propped up the way that it is. Oh, we're, we're due for – it's a big bubble. It's going to crash. There's no question about it. Here's the thing. Eventually, when interest rates recover on the bond side – you're going to get a huge uh, resurgence of money into those areas. It's going to be removed from the stock market, and you might start to see you might start to see a true value. At the end of the day, I think that stock prices should almost be exclusively dictated by earnings per share, right? So we're at a spot where just because you you see potential, you see this artificial inflation, these quarterly reports that make you feel every every company is going to posture themselves as if they're going to do a million times better in the next quarter, in the next quarter, but if their earnings per share don't reflect that, I don't think the value should go up. So to all of you home investors out there, be wary of the stock market. You might be able to get some uh, shortfalls and some wins, but uh, at the end of the day, it's a dangerous place, and uh, don't spend money you don't have. What's your take on the postal service and how that plays out in the near future and I don't know. I hear all this stories about mail-in voting and voter fraud, and how does that even come? Is that only something that the presidential campaigns have to worry about, or is that something that involves your campaign as well? Very much so. Well, there's a couple of different things to split out of that. Firstly, when it comes to the solvency of the U.S. Postal Service, it's constitutionally mandated that it exists. So that also means that Congress has a duty to either find efficiencies or put more capital into the program so it can stay alive without any problems. Now, the flip side of that, let's talk about mail-in uh, voting. We need vote by mail. I mean, we're in the midst of a pandemic right now. People are going to be scared to go into their regular polling place. So creating options like vote by mail or vote online, which are proven to actually be secure and totally safe. If you can do your taxes online, why can't you vote online? I, I think that's something that uh, it's a really hard thing to debate. I think it's a good idea. And then it is my responsibility. As someone who's going to the U.S. Congress, I will be able to sponsor and write legislation that can either improve or degrade the U.S. Postal Service. So 
it's it's definitely a germane topic and it's something that we we think a lot about and actually we've been leaders in trying to start a suit here in Tennessee uh, to demand vote by mail from the Secretary of State and uh, from the governor. So it's something we focus on. That, that's a good thing because there's a lot of people that don't they don't need that. I've heard a few people say, well, if you can stand in line at Walmart, you can definitely stand in line to vote. But that's a whole different scene there with when you talk about people that have to stand in line for eight hours. There's people with what is it? They say over 40 percent of the U.S. is immune compromised or so overweight or diabetic, many different issues, cancer survivors like and those people don't need to be standing in line to cast a vote. And we're not talking about replacing in-person voting. No, definitely not at right? all. So it's like for people who want to show up and, and want to push that button in person, do it. And I think we got to do it safely. So we need to be able to sanitize all the places. Everyone has to have the appropriate PPE. And, and thank God y'all exist here at Make Nashville. And you guys continue to pump out masks, which are, have been really helpful for a lot of people. Um, but you have to do it safely in person. And for the folks who are in high-risk groups, no question they should be able to vote from home, right? It's, it's, it's their democratic right to be able to vote. And if we don't facilitate it, I see a constitutional crisis coming down the line. Yeah. What do you think of Governor Lee's work that he's doing with the COVID-19? Well, Governor Lee takes all of his instructions from the big man, which I, I actually love and appreciate about him. Um, but on the flip side, you've got to look at the science. You got to look at the science. So, right now, I, I think we're being a little premature with reopening the state. It was amazing. So, my district, which is not just Nashville proper, it's also Cheatham and Dixon County. I went out to uh, Cheatham and Dixon County a couple days ago and just kind of got an eye on what's going on. They're they're almost acting as if nothing is happening. And the thing is, you can't separate those counties from what happens in Nashville because people are traveling in and out of the city center and then out to those places vice versa. So there's a reason we've seen a huge spike. And I'm actually disappointed in John Cooper as well for starting phase one, uh, which was yesterday. Um, I'm, I'm not satisfied with the work of John Cooper. The fact that he would do a one-two punch of raising property taxes by 36% or proposing to raise property taxes by 36% and also not follow his own guidance, which was to f see a two-week uh, trend of cases. So not really happy with our elected officials. Another reason I'm running for Congress. Do you think uh, part of that, though, him g going back on his word, is there's a lot of business owners that are, you know, trying to stir up the pot, get people angry, looking to him, saying that it's his fault that they can't go back to work? Well, I think we have to do it in a smarter way. I've been uh, in contact with software developers for SAP in Germany for the last couple of days. And I'm pressuring them right now to create an open source application for contact tracing. They've built a pretty robust app. It's, it's pretty much three phases. It's pretty simple. You have a green, yellow, and a red light. Green is you're very low risk and you've already had it or you've already had it. Yellow means um, you are at, a, at some level of risk and red means that uh, you currently have it or you're high risk. And pretty much everyone should just have the, the red, yellow, green. First phase should mean greens can go out. Second phase means yellows can go out. Third phase means reds can go out. It's that simple, but we don't have elected officials who think logically there's too much money slushing around our, our economy to think logically.
Yeah, definitely. And by, sorry, not economy. I meant to say slushing around politics. Ah, uh, okay. So, how has this affected the way that you're campaigning this uh, this time around with all the social distancing and limited on crowds? Is this making it a, I'm sure it's got to be a definite challenge. Oh, it's different. It is definitely different. I'll tell you that. Weren't you? Didn't you go hand out a bunch of masks that you came and picked out from uh, picked up from us? Yeah. So there's a number of different things that we're doing. So typically, the political currency is shake hands, kiss babies, throw parties, knock doors. Right. That's 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 kind of the bread and butter of a campaign. So we've had to make some changes. I mean, you know, I never thought I'd be this person, but we put out uh, robocalls uh, on a pretty regular basis. We send out a lot of text messages. We send out a lot of emails. Um, we try to communicate with people who are kind of uh, change makers and, and networkers in the city to, to help us disseminate our message. We do a lot of phone banking, so we get people to make you know 50 to 100 calls a day. It's as easy as that, 50 to 100 calls a day, dedicate an hour to the campaign, and you'll actually start seeing real leadership in Middle Tennessee. So we've had to do a lot of, a lot of things. I love throwing parties. I mean, we've thrown, even before the pandemic, I've been running for Congress for about a year, even before the pandemic, we had parties with 500 people, and that was the jam, right? We get bands out there, we talk about policy, we get young young people registered to vote. I love that experience, and now that it's just uh, we've got a skeleton crew, and we've got to do the best we can. So it's it's really meet people where they are, which is on their phones, and in their mailbox. That's all you can do. All right, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back and have a finish this discussion. Great. So uh, we got an interview right now with Kara, who she works food delivery with Uber Eats, DoorDash, Postmates, Grubhub. She also does uh, grocery shopping on Instacart. Um, You're going to like this girl, Johnny. I met her about a month ago, like when everything first started. Um she was in line at the grocery store and saw the mask that we had on that we had sewn here at Make Nashville, and so she was asking about them, and I told her all about the program, and so now she wants to get involved and volunteer here. So, okay, so so she's been uh, she was interested in in uh, in Make Nashville based on observation, and uh, you talking about it pretty much. Yeah. So, all right, let's get into this interview. I'm going her up on Skype real quick. I think she's out doing Instacart right now, actually. Hey, how are Hello? you? Hello? How are you doing, Kara? Hi, Chad. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. So we're recording live for the podcast right now, One Million Breaths. How are you doing? Awesome. I'm doing really well. Thank you. So uh, how is this pandemic changed your life well I have to say I feel blessed that I have my health and my kids are healthy Um, my heart goes out to people who have you know caught this and who've lost people and lost their lives so I definitely don't want to come across like I'm complaining but it's definitely been life-altering for myself um, and my children I lost both of my jobs due to the COVID-19 quarantine at the end of March within 48 hours. Oh, yeah. 
um, I was selling software, so I had a sales job during the week. And then over the weekends, to make extra money, I would work for an event company. And of course, you know, with the sales job, there's the businesses are closed. There's nobody to call on. Nobody wants to be called on right now. And then with the events, you know, we were holding the events at, you know, various venues, entertainment venues and, um, you know, restaurants, um, quite a few restaurants downtown and on Broadway. So, of course, all those closed. So when that happened, I just basically had to shift gears. And I thought, I looked around and I did a lot of research. I was reading online and I thought, okay, where could I work? Where could I earn money right now? And I realized people needed groceries delivered and food delivered. So I jumped into the gig industry, um, delivering groceries and food. Oh, great. Yeah. You're a single mom, correct? Yes. I'm a single mom. I have, uh, a daughter. She's 13 in seventh grade and a son. He's 12 in fifth grade. And they have a very good dad. Um, he takes care of them sometimes, so I want to give him credit too. But I have them um, most of the week, you know, doing homeschooling and taking care of them full time. Yeah, so having those jobs, being able to do the Instacart and the Grubhub and all that, definitely as a single parent, I could see how that would help you out immensely in this time. Exactly. I mean, when the kids aren't you know, needing me for homeschooling, um, or to, of course, you know, make them meals, then I'm usually doing those jobs as much as possible because, you know, for example, with the groceries, that's not something you can do late at night or, or overnight. Yeah. Um, you know, the, most of the grocery orders are coming through during the day. And, of course, I have a conflict because I need to be home with my kids, you know, while they're being homeschooled and to make sure they stay up on top of their work and that kind of thing. So that's kind of hard. So as soon as they finish their work, I usually get right on the Instacart app and I start um, finding orders and accepting them and grocery shopping. So uh, how many how many orders have you done since this started grocery shopping wise? Oh, countless. Um, now, it can depend. You know, I mean, you might have an order where somebody only needs 10 items or you might need, you might accept one where they need 50 items. So, depending on how many items, you know, kind of depends on how many you could, you know, do in a certain time frame. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can usually shop, pick up 10 items and deliver them all within an hour. So, if I get a bunch of smaller orders that I can work for, eight hours, then I can usually, you know, deliver groceries to about eight customers in a, what I call a shift. <laughs> okay. Um, but if it's a larger order, which, you know, usually you'll get paid a little bit more and more of a tip. Um, I mean, that can take longer, especially right now. I've talked to a lot of people who were working with Instacart before, um, you know, this happened before the, before COVID-19 hit in February. And they said it was a lot easier and a lot faster because basically any item you would see in the app that the customer is requesting was available. It was pretty unusual for it to not be available. And now that's flipped. So now, you know, if I get an order that has 10 items on it, 
I mean, the other day, there eight of the 10 items were not available in the store. So it took me a lot longer to shop for this customer because I was going through each item, having to text the customer, this item's not available, what would be a backup choice? Um, I'm looking for a second option, you know, plan B, plan C, and you're just texting the person back and forth. Most of the customers though, of course, they understand that a lot of things, you know, are not available. They know the shelves are, you know, empty at times and especially with certain products like toilet paper and, um, you know, paper towels, but, uh, and they'll pretty quickly pick another item or they'll say, just never mind, don't even worry about the item. And then you're able to take that off your, your order list. Okay. But yeah. it does take a little bit longer to shop now. Yeah. I during was, this time. I was curious what you do if, you know, somebody wants like a certain brand of say chicken noodle soup and that option isn't there. Do you, you know, are you, cause I guess they, they're not linked up to the store to know how many items that they have on the shelf in their inventory. Exactly. Right. They wouldn't know how many items are on the shelf, but, um, the customers have actually already gone ahead before they place the order and yeah. they've selected some, some backup options. Um, but the problem is right now, there's so many things off the shelves. For example, one customer wanted black beans and I was at Kroger on Highway 70 in Bellevue. There was not one can of black beans, any brand, anywhere, <laughs> you know? And of course I replied and I said, there's not an option A, B or C from anything you've selected. I'm sorry. And of course there's always so nice and understanding. And uh, then I just, there's a, a place on my end of the app where I can indicate that and then they just take it off the screen and the customer's not charged for it. Okay. But sometimes um, I'll walk up, let's say there are several, you know, backup, let's say they want Bush black beans, but that's not available. And there's a couple other brands, um, but maybe they're not in the list that the customer selected as a backup choice. Then I have the ability to very easily within the Instacart app, take a picture of the brands I'm looking at and send it to them and then they can very quickly text me back to the brand and then I grab that one scan it and then it's in my cart and I move on to the next item so people are pretty good about when you're shopping they know you're going through the aisles and they respond quickly yes yes they do they know that you know you're relying on them to respond quickly so you can move on and and one of my favorite things is a lot of times there are options to shop for two and even three people at the same time. Yeah. And I really like doing that because of course that's, you know, one tip per customer. So that can be more money. And I just think you get, you know, you're going to make more money um, for your time, of course. And then it's nice because as you're going down one aisle, you know, Instacart will indicate in the app, you know, aisle one, here's the, five things that the three customers are requesting on aisle one. So you can just go down that aisle, pick out those items. And then that way, to your point, what you just said, if one customer maybe isn't quite as responsive, maybe they're taking care of a child or, you know, who knows what, um, another customer might be responding to you while you're waiting for the customer taking care of a child or what have you to respond. That's, that's got to be a pretty good feature with the uh, app showing where the location of some of the items are. 
Oh, it is. It makes it so much different. Now, there the store Whole Whole Foods, which is very popular, um, especially in Bellevue where I live. I guess a lot of people don't have a Whole Foods next to them, and um, of course, a lot of people love many of the items that they carry at that store that you can't find other places. They, the app does not list the aisle because it doesn't. Um, it's not listed like that, like it is at Kroger. There's no aisle one. It's it says you know it's in the refrigerated section. Well, they have you know three or four refrigerated sections, yeah, so separated you out. have to kind of <laughs> meander. So. I don't know Whole Foods layout as well, so it takes me longer to shop there. So um, the store, I tend to go to the stores I know the best. I know Kroger and Publix and Highway in Bellevue, like the back of my hand. So I tend to select orders on Instacart at those stores because I know I can shop more efficiently there because I know the layouts in the aisles so well. Yeah, I, I, I would get lost myself. I always, every time I go, uh, I go to that Whole Foods as well, but I, I'm still looking around when I go in there to figure uh, where some stuff is at. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, you know, but, but for somebody who knows Whole Foods very well, it wouldn't be that difficult for them. So, yeah. but like I said, so I, I tend to select orders on Instacart. I'm looking for the two grocery stores, you know, near my house that I know really well. And I usually pick orders where, I'm shopping for at least two and sometimes three people. Okay. All at once. I'm, yeah. For me, shopping, how do you separate that in the cart? Do you, do you like put uh, like a, yeah, how do you separate that in the cart to keep track of what's what for who? <laughs> yeah. I've actually stopped people doing Instacart and shipped in the store because a lot of times the Instacart people have these, um, I, I want to call it sort of like a necklace around their neck. And, and a lot of the ship shoppers have T-shirts on. So you can kind of spot who's doing it. Plus, you see people looking at their phones a lot and marking the items and scanning them with their phones. So they're easy to spot. So I've, I've seen different people do different things. Um, a lot of people, like if you're shopping for three people, um, maybe they'll put, you know, one person's items in one section of the cart, like, you know, where you normally put tiled, mm -hmm. another person's items, you know, on the bottom of the cart, maybe another person in the middle. And then I take in, uh, I have those reusable shopping bags. Okay. And... Um, I put those in my cart and I've shopped and put the, put, and I, I told, um, you know, one of the assistant store managers what I was doing when I walked in and I said, I just want you to know I'm shopping for Instacart and I'm shopping for three people. If you don't mind, I'm going to put these reusable shopping bags in my cart and that's how I'm going to divide the um, orders. And he said, oh yeah, that's fine. No problem. People do that all the time. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a problem. You know, it's not like I'm covering up the items and of course yeah. they see you on the camera that you're going through the you know, to the register, you're, you're checking out, you're paying. So, um, what's, so how's the homeschooling experience treating you? <laughs> That's been a challenge. I will say it's getting in some ways easier each week because the kids are more used to it. They're used to the system, you know, and then I guess as a mom, I'm sort of learning different ways to motivate them and then I'm learning the system better so you know for for example like my kids have to be um, they're going they go to private school and they have to be online by 7:45 for what I would call it's kind of like it's Google it's like a zoom meeting um, but they use Google classroom so they can see the teacher the teacher can see all the kids and it's required that they have to have their camera on 
Like they can't just turn it on and then lay down in bed or walk away and go into a different room, which I think is good. And uh, so my kids are more used to that. And then once that that first meeting starts, then, you know, they're kind of off, off and running. Um, but I have to check with them in the morning, you know, what are the assignments that p- teachers put up? Um, I encourage my kids to set alarms on their phone to try to set a goal to be finished with each assignment by a certain time. And um, then I put a reward system in place and I say, okay, you know, and then if you finish all of your work on time, by the time the timers go off and by three o'clock, then I'll take you, um, you know, we'll, we'll go, you know, down the street. There's um, a couple areas where, you know, we have big fields. We can kick a soccer.